Hey, hey everyone. Welcome to Home Energy Design. How to design a beautiful home and life and make sure it's energy aligned. I'm your host, Amanda Gates, and I'm an interior designer and feng shui practitioner. And these combined skills have made me a floor plan reading expert. Energy design is like astrology for your home and your life. And who doesn't want more of that? I believe in all things pretty. In fact, my team and I love the pretty. But what makes my firm different is that we can help you create designs that are also energy aligned to help you get the home and life you've always dreamed of. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Amanda Gates. And today I have on relationship engineer, George Armand. I really wanted to do this show because so many of you, my listeners, are either in relationships that frustrate you or you're looking for love and fumbling a bit. And what makes George's approach to finding love that lasts different than the thousands of books and gurus and articles that are out there is he's really broken it down into a step-by-step guide really sharing with you what to look for how to work on yourself and what to avoid i also love that he mentions carol dweck in today's show all about carol's work about mindset whether you have a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. If you've taken my course, Mastering Feng Shui, you learn a lot about Carol's work and why it's imperative to have a growth mindset in order to cultivate your chi and really wield energy in a powerful way to get feng shui results. So today's show is gonna be really fun. And I think whether you're in a relationship or you know, looking for love. He's got a lot of really great tips. And I should also mention, uh, he talks about this idea of working on yourself first. And I love this because my love course that I released earlier this year, I talk about the same thing. So it sounds like we're really on the same page. Okay, some real quick housekeeping. The New Year New Energy class is uh, was actually going to close today. But I'm going to leave it for, uh, I'm going to leave it open for enrollment through the weekend. I'm actually flying out to Arizona today to meet with Barry and Gayla Gordon. I am so excited. And I hope to add some goodies from them to the class. So make sure if this is something that you're interested in, you sign up before the 20th. That's what I'm going to close it down. Um, And then also, I want to let everyone know that starting after the new year, I plan on taking a little bit of a break from the podcast. It takes a tremendous amount of time and effort to run this show, not to mention it costs over $1,000 a month for me to run it. And I've talked about this before. Ruby and I, uh, Ruby Warrington and I spoke about this uh, on my 100th episode about how the spiritual world of business really needs to change. And the team and I have gone back and forth on how to monetize this to cover the costs. And honestly, I just think if we could figure out an advertiser or something, I think it's going to require more work to really manage it all, to make sure that the placements are correct and to find the right placements. And it doesn't even come close to covering the costs of the show. Not to mention a lot of the advertisers that we've looked into don't actually want to work with us because we are considered an esoteric show. So there's some advertisers that I guess don't want to be (laughs) associated with feng shui. But what a lot of you don't know is I was in a relationship that allowed me to gift a lot of my talents to all of you for free for many, many years. I gave away many free floor plan readings, uh, scholarships, free classes, free feng shui workshops, free talks. I did this for over a decade. And unfortunately, I no longer have that financial backup. I've tried for the past 18 months to keep up, you know, with the pace that I had and, you know, keep it at a continuing pace just to offer, you know, advice and to continue the, the free information that I've been putting out there. But that reality of that decision has really started to set in. And what really started to shift things for me was my podcast with Ruby a couple of weeks ago. I felt obligated to keep all this up because it's really become expected of me for so many of you 
who have emailed me that love the show, but you've also admitted that, you know, you can only enjoy the free advice and you can't pay me. So Ruby really gave me permission to say this isn't working. And it's such a mindset thing. Whenever I do anything or give anything, it, you know, I've really come to realize it needs to be beneficial for all of us, not just some of us. And it needs to be a fair exchange of energy. We've got another six or seven show recordings already scheduled uh, that I'm going to be recording in December and January. And then I'm just going to take a sabbatical, recalibrate, and decide what I want to do. 2020 is already expected to be a shit show of energy, (laughs) much like 2018 was. And I don't know about y'all, but my 2018 was shit. So it's time I do some serious inner work so I can just really emerge in a more powerful way. And also, I've been trying to write my latest feng shui book, Feng Shui for the Soul, and it has greatly suffered through all this. Good Lord, (laughs) I keep trying to write. And I did quite a bit of writing at the beginning of the year, but I really have not been able to get back into it just because I've been going in so many different directions. So this sabbatical will also help me free up about 10 hours a week for me to write. And I only have about five more chapters until it's done. So I'm on the home stretch. So I really need to get that done so that we can start sending it out to publishers and get that moving. So, and I should mention too, before I dive into today's show, Um, You know, if you're listening to this and you have suggestions on how I can keep this train running in a profitable way, I am all ears. I love, love, love doing this show. It's one of my favorite things to do. And I love um, teaching y'all about new energy principles and things that are going on out there that you may not have heard of. And I also love interacting with my guests. I get to meet some of the coolest people. But my accountant says I can't do it anymore. So I have to start making money. (laughs) So bring on the tips, okay? Maybe I should start a donation button. I just got to get these the costs of the show covered. Alrighty, in today's show, George and I will talk about how to heal wounds that keep you stuck, rituals that keep the sparks flying, ooh la la, creating a true partnership that's equal, good lord, Don't we all need that? And how to look at a relationship as a long-term journey of appreciation rather than a quick destination. I also want to mention one of the key ingredients he discusses is the love equation. And this is what I was talking about a minute ago, where the love equation is all about filling your cup up first. This is important because if we go into a relationship lacking a key ingredient, which is love for yourself then your partner mirrors that trait. In my love course that I released earlier this year and is available up on my website, it's still there, it talks about this very thing. It's because it's about your chi. I approach love from an energy standpoint and he talks about it from you know, a psychological aspect where we mirror what we attract and vice versa. So you go into a relationship with cultivated chi, or you go into it with dilapidated chi. And what's really cool is that everything that George is talking about today is the same concept as chi. So cool, right? So this episode is chock full of valuable information. So if you're really looking for love or trying to rekindle love in your relationship, grab a beverage and a pen and a notepad and get ready to take lots of notes because you're going to have a lot of ahas and be sure to check out my love course because it's going to really align with everything that George says today. All right, are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. I am excited to have George Araman on. Welcome, George. Thank you, Amanda. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm excited. I was just asking George before the show where he is located and he's in Lebanon. It might be uh, the furthest person I've ever spoken to. I'd have to look. I've spoken to some people in Australia and Ireland, but you may be the furthest, which is great. Um, What I wanted to, I really wanted to have you on the show because I have a lot of listeners that I know uh, which we'll get into today, but you know, they've, they've been through some, uh, I call it war when it comes to relationships. Uh, and you call yourself a relationship engineer, which I love. Tell us about what that is and how you got into this line of work. Okay, so first of all, I was very far from homeless work. 
uh, up until around three years ago when I was friendzoned by my ex-best friend. So when I was friendzoned by my ex-best friend, I really wanted to find a solution. So having been into the personal development world for quite some time, I decided to actually take matters in my own hands. And so I went and read more than 200 books, more than 1,200 plus articles. I did an in-depth experiment to prove that all my theories were right. And I put, in, I put it all inside a book and added my own personal experience. So this is how, how all this work came through. Wow, that is a lot of research. So I'm sure that, you know, reading all those books and articles, it's really helped you to not only see other people's point of views and, and how they have found love, but you've probably cultivated your own opinion on how this works. And now you help people find love, which I love this. You, you say that you help people find love that lasts, which I think is the key ingredient because I think anybody can find love, but you may fall out of it. So tell us what mistakes you know, we can correct that will help us prevent finding that wrong match. I want to get into... In a minute here, I want to get into your archetypes, but I, I do agree. I think that one of the biggest problems that prevents us from finding love that lasts is that we continue to attract the same, like in your, and when I was looking at your website, you said like, do you always attract the bad boy? So, <laughs> which I think a lot of people can resonate with, but you know, what mistakes are we making that, you know, we continually attract the same person? Yes, so actually one of the, the most beautiful things I, 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 I got when I was doing my research is that a relationship is a mirror of ourselves. And so we tend to attract, so here there are two, two key points. We tend to attract a certain type of partner in order to heal our wounds, which comes from actually our relationship with our parents. So when we come to the world, we tend to have a, a certain type of relationship with our parents. Either we learn from them or we model them and we keep it within us. And so we keep on attracting this particular of pattern in order to heal it and become better and feel better from inside. So one of the key points in order to really start to find the person that we want to do with is actually to, it, as cheesy and corny as, uh, as it sounds, it's important to really love ourselves from the inside out. Once we do that, then we can attract the right person. I agree 100% with that because what I talk a lot about on this show is the idea of taking the time to cultivate our chi, our energy systems, because if you go at anything, whether it's a relationship, a career, health, if you go into it with you know a half-empty cup, you're going to get the same results. So it sounds like you're talking about this, you know, basically the same idea is that we have to work on ourselves first so that we're approaching this relationship that we're about to get into or maybe heal an existing one when we're really operating from a full tank. It's very true. But, and one, one other thing I would like to add is that even once we, we really love ourselves and we, are, we have actually attracted the right partner for us, it doesn't end there. It's actually, actually just the beginning. So we're going to always continue to, to learn, learn how to love ourselves even more, love our partner more, and really continuously work on our relationship. We shouldn't take our relationship for granted. This is another of the big misconception. Oh, I, I, I agree with you on that because I think what happens is, is that we tend to do all the work in the beginning of the relationship. And then once we start to get comfortable, we relax and then we don't appreciate it. Would you agree? I totally agree. Actually, in my book, I talk about it. Uh, it's something I learned from Carol Dweck, when she talks about fixed mindset and growth mindset. So mm -hmm. I took it actually further when it comes to relationships. And it's actually that. In general, we, when we tend to have a fixed mindset when it comes to relationship, what we tend to do is we tend to look at a relationship as a finite product. Like my, other, my partner will make me happy or when I get married, this is the end. This is how like, I'm, I'm not going to be single anymore. I'm, I'm going to lose my freedom or whichever type of pattern we, we, we get. Whereas if we have a growth mindset and we come from a point of we're, we're going to grow together, it's not the end. It's actually just the beginning of a beautiful journey. So marriage or, or, or the or relationship is actually more of a, a journey, not a destination. So when, when we come from this type of mindset, things really do change. 
That's fantastic. And I have an online course called Mastering Feng Shui with Confidence. It's my advanced course. And I actually reference Carol Dweck in there and I talk about growth versus fixed mindset. So we are definitely on the same page. I think that, you know, this idea of finding love that lasts and finding love that's real uh, it is going to require work and it is going to be more of a journey than a destination. What are some things that not only you have found that work, but what are some things that people, I don't want to use the word should, but what are some things that they can be doing to cultivate that relationship and really nurture it over the course of years and, and really making it last? It's, there are a lot of things. I would say habits is very important to have a certain type of, of couple habit, like for example, having a secret love language that only the two of you talk, having a certain type of, um, of weekly, for example, uh, in the morning before going to work, having this special kiss that always bonds you together um, and certain rituals. Rituals are really, really very important. This I would say is, is crucial for that. In order for that, whenever, for example, there's a bad time, because bad times will happen eventually in relationships, uh, as, as, as in life, I mean, uh, we would be able to fall back into this, this place, to have this place that's just for the, for the two of us, this place where we actually feel safe, this, this place where we can actually feel we can let go and, and just be ourselves. So give us an example. I like this idea of having a love language and, and rituals. I'm all about rituals. What would be an example of a ritual that a couple would have in a relationship? Okay. I love this question. I'm actually going to give one of the, the one that I found the most interesting, the most beautiful. Uh, it's actually eye contact. So there was a study by Dr. Aaron, Arthur Aaron, with um, it's very famous the one of the 36 questions where and at the end of this 36 questionnaire uh, people actually look into each, each other's eyes for five minutes it's actually a very powerful exercise so because once you look at, into each other's eyes each other's eyes my apologies uh, you tend to actually create a stronger bond you tend to it's not about shooting the other partner when you're looking into the eyes so it's a, what i call the great ends of eye contact so it's actually when you gaze from one left, from the left eye to the right eye, but also really saying to your partner with the eyes, I'm here for you, I care about you, and I love you. It's, it's a really powerful uh, habit. I think that's a great ritual because I've done this in uh, some of my relationships, and it can be challenging. You know, it can be five minutes doesn't sound like a long time, but it really is. And it really is the window to the soul. I think if you can really practice this and, and uh, mutually agree that this is a great uh, ritual to have to build your relationship, I think it actually makes people feel closer and, and more bonded, like you said, because a lot of times, you know, in a relationship, you're busy, you're doing a hundred things and you're not really looking at each other. You're just kind of there and, and you're right. You take each other for granted. So to just take five minutes and truly connect on a soulful level and an energetic level, I think this would be a great practice for everyone to try. Yeah, that's very true. So the book that we're talking about is The Great Dance of Love, which George wrote, a step-by-step guide by finding love that lasts. What inspired you to write this book? So I, actually, I really wanted to find a, a solution. So when I was friends with my ex-best friend, I wanted to... Um, basically the problem was that there was a lack of sparks between us. I really loved her. She really loved me, but I was in love with her. She wasn't in love with me. So it took me like one week or two to actually mourn and really like play the victim. But then I said, you know, I've been into the personal development world for quite some time. I can't find a solution. Let me do that. Let me stop being, playing the, the role of a victim. And hence I read all those books, all those articles. And I actually went on a couple of months of experiment with some ladies to prove that my theories are right. So this is how it all came out. Wow. So share with us some of, as I was doing research and looking into the book, you talk about this idea of elements of attraction. And I, I think this is important to talk about because what you just talked about, I think has happened to a lot of people where um, 
you know, someone loves you, but they're not in love with you. And so you end up falling into quote unquote, the friend zone. And it can be really hard to be appealing to the opposite sex once you hit that zone. So what are some of the elements of attraction that you have found that help get people out of the friend zone and, you know, into a relationship that lasts? Sure. Uh, eye contact is actually one of them. It's really, really powerful. So I used to be someone that was very shy. I barely looked people in the eyes. When I started to develop this, actually, one of the things I did with, the, with my experiment is that I had one lady per day for a couple of months in order to really prove that it works and really get things going. So after around a month or so, I became, became really comfortable with eye contact and things became really smooth. And uh, so eye contact is very, very, very important. Presence is another key component, really being present. And by being present, I mean not just being there. It's about being physically there. It's about being there physically, emotionally, and intellectually. So it's by being there, really listening with no judgment, holding space. And those really are very, very important tools. So you brought up a good point. I think that there's probably a lot of people listening today that are shy. And I'm curious, being that you were shy as well, how did you overcome that? How did you get comfortable? What are some tools that you did to overcome that shyness so that you could connect with another person via eye contact? <coughs> Sorry. It's as simple as practice. Honestly, it's all about practice. So what I did was I had, I was doing that mainly some, sometimes with friends. So, okay. So basically the problem of attraction I had with my ex-best friend was a problem of attraction. So I wanted to get out of the friend zone. So I actually talked to a couple of friends, told them like, listen, I have this problem. I was being vulnerable. I was being like really putting my heart out there. And while it might sound scary, it was actually a very important moment because once I did that, we both felt good at it and we started doing the experiments and all. And uh, so this is how uh, lady after lady or eye contact after eye contact on a daily basis for a couple of weeks really helped me become more confident in myself. Awesome. And, and I also want to bring back uh, this idea of presence. I think that this is such a uh, element I feel is lacking. I know that the two long-term relationships that I was in, you know, presence was a, a huge one that was lacking um, for me and my male partners that I was with, they, you know, yes, they were physically there, but emotionally, intellectually, uh, were not available. Um, and listening was always a, a struggle, which is why we're not in the, the relationships anymore. So, um, I'm curious, you know, I think that this in our frenetic world with how busy everyone is and they're, they're so tethered to their phones, you know, it upsets me when I go out to dinner with a friend and I see people that, you know, they look like maybe they're in a relationship and they're both on their phones. They're not even connecting with one another. So if a person is in a relationship and struggling with this idea of presence and not getting their partner to be present, is there tools that they can do to get them, you know, to uh, pay attention and to be emotionally available to them and to set their technology down? It's funny now that you asked this question. I actually wrote an article maybe two or three weeks ago just about that. Uh, and basically what tends to happen is that we tend to be more in a relationship with our phone or with social media rather than our partner. And it's very, very sad. Um, it, there are definitely practical tools that we can do to do that. It's all about priorities, honestly. So if we really value our relationship, if we really find it important for us, we're going to take our time for that. If we just take our relationship for granted, our partner for granted, then it's not going to work out, honestly. It's as, sim as simple as that. It's, it's really important to set, a, set around our priorities. And what's five minutes a day? We spend most of our, of our day on our phones, on our laptops, What's just five minutes of good quality time with our partners? 
Hey, I agree. (laughs) I just don't know that everybody else is doing it. You know, and I think that if you're dating, you know, if you go on a date with someone and they're immediately getting on their phone and not paying attention, it's a red flag. You know, is there a way to set boundaries if you're in the dating world and this is happening and the person that you're with is is not, you know, emotionally available and, and not paying attention? Is there a way to set boundaries and to let them know that that's not working for you? Or is it just simply a red flag and you should walk away? Uh, what I would say is that since relationships are actually mirrors of ourselves, uh, the, the, um, I would say it's important to notice that if we're attracting those people that are partners that are unavailable, that it means there's something inside of us that needs to be healed. So depending on how we want to approach it, so we can't go and date this guy or girl for a short period of time, but the fact that they are, they are unavailable will reflect at a later point if we don't work on it. So I would actually go back to the cause of, of, of the issue, resolve it, and then start doing that. I would actually take a whole different approach rather than um, be with that person. I would actually be with myself, work on myself, and then start doing that. I think that's great advice. And I think this is a great segue to maybe bring up, uh, you talk about the eight dating archetypes. And I think that um, this is important to mention because I think that we all come to um, relationships, if we're not aware of the tendencies that we have, we will continue to attract the same type person. So it sounds like what I'm hearing is, is that we do need to work on ourselves first to maybe change the archetype from what it is. But can you share with us what the archetypes are so that we know what to work on? With pleasure. So when I was doing actually my research, I didn't find this anywhere, but, but throughout all the research, and I actually analyzed a lot of, of data and, and ideas, and I actually came up with, with those eight characters. Those eight characters are actually, we are very familiar with them in one way or another. So I'm gonna go uh, by couple or by two by two. I'm gonna start with Mr. and Mrs. Bad Sparks. So just like the name says, just like the name says, Mr. and Mrs. Bad Sparks are the highly masculine and the highly feminine man and woman. And to give you a concrete example or something that we're all seen in one form or another, it's an extreme example, but it's, I think it's important for us to have an image of what we're talking about, is the cheerleader and the captain of the rugby team. So this is actually Mr. and Mrs. Bath Sparks. And this, the, those two archetypes are all about the passion, the extreme passion, the extreme uh, hormones. They really want this, this intensity, this, this beautiful, lovey lovey phase and they don't want to be accountable they just want the romantic phase and it's amazing but in my opinion it's not enough you also and then you have mr and mrs nice mirror so mr and mrs nice mirror are actually uh the there has been a reverse in power here so you have there used to be mr and mrs bad sparks and yet when women started to go to work or around the 60s there has been a shift. So, um, and it's no one's fault. Let me say it from now. Uh, it's no one's fault, but due to the fact that women started to work, both men and women were acting more masculine at work, and then both were coming home, and w- the woman wanting to be more feminine and the man coming back more masculine, there was kind of a clash. And so what happened after a certain period of time, uh, Mrs. Nice Mirror became... Uh, from highly feminine, she became more masculine, and vice versa. And Mr. Nice Mirror became more feminine. And so, so for example, to give you an example, when they came back, when they come back from from work, Mr. Nice Mirror would rather sit on the couch and look at the, the TV, and just like unwind his day and really be in, into what we call the empty box. This is his, his way of actually recharging his testosterone. So if you take it from a biological point of view, this is a good way and an important way for man to recharge the testosterone because just like women feel better when they connect, men feel better or when they disconnect. And this is important to recharge their, their testosterone. At the same time, if for example, um, the woman would come and ask the man, Mr. Nice Mirror, 
to do something for, for him, right now, right in this particular moment, they will both feel frustrated. And at the same time, it's important to know that Mr. Mrs. Nice Mirror wants to connect because this is how she feels loved. So there's, a, there's kind of a problem around there. So this is actually, in short, what is who are Mr. and Mrs. Nice Mirror. Then we go to Mr. and Mrs. Friend Amore. Mr. Mr. and Mrs. Friend Amore are actually the children of Mr. and Mrs. Nice Mirror. So they grew up with a feminine father and a masculine mother. So they don't really know what their core energies are, and they're really not familiar with them. So Mrs. Uh, Friend Amore, for example, is particularly known as the tomboy. And Mrs. Friend Amore is actually more like the doormat. He does everything he's asked for and more, just to please people. And so, and so all those archetypes, they are all wonderful. They all, each one of them have their own advantages, and yet they also have their shortcomings. And now we, it comes Mr. and Mrs. Grey Dance, the ultimate relationship partners, the partners we all want to be and have, have with us. And so what, we, what happens with Mr. and Mrs. Grey Dance is that they're actually balanced from inside. They come from a place of unconditional love rather than conditional love, and they really love themselves from the inside out. They've healed their, their own insecurities. Healed, they've healed themselves. They might still have some of them, but, but they're now much more complete and much more uh, going towards where they want to. Those are, in short, the eight archetypes. So, you know, I, I think that what's important here is that many of us have, I think, the same archetype. And we, I, I, if I'm understanding this correctly, we tend to attract the same person because we don't change our archetype. Is, is that, like, if you were talking about the first one where, you know, bad sparks and... <laughs> It's all about passion, but it's not really going to go any differently. And if that's what we are at, say, 16, 17 years old, obviously we're still capable of being that at 40 years old. So how do we break away from that and become the correct archetype to find the relationship that lasts? That's very true what you're saying. Thank you for that. And um, actually, emotions really do not really have an age. So most of us in general, we tend to be no matter how old we are or young we are, we, we tend to stop growing emotionally after six, seven years old in general. So we, we tend to have our own emotional patterns since then, unless and until we work on it. So by working on, our, on healing our emotions, this is how we can grow. And um, to, give it, to, to say it more concretely, um, in, in general, uh, for example, to take the example of Mr. and Mrs. Bad Sparks, Mr. Bath Sparks is the highly masculine man. And while he's very masculine on the, on the inside, what he's looking for in his partner is the feminine energy that he is not able to find inside himself. So this is why he tends to go for the, very, the highly feminine woman. He's looking for the feminine energy outside of him that he's lacking inside and vice versa. So Mrs. Bath Sparks is, very high, is highly feminine and she's looking for the masculine energy outside of her in her partner rather than inside of herself. So once you are able to actually merge those two or marry those two or embrace those two, the masculine and the feminine from the inside out, this is actually when we can stop to attract the, the I wouldn't say the wrong partners, but this is when we actually would start to attract the right partner for us. So this may be a dumb question, but I'm thinking it. So I'm curious and want to know if we do have uh, Mr. Bad Sparks, who at 17 is highly masculine. And at 30, he realizes that he is attracting the same type of woman that he's realizing isn't right for him. Is it, how do we recognize, how do we take a step back, so to speak, and say, you know what, this is what I keep doing. How do we recognize the archetype that may not be the best for us and change it? I think in order for us to uh, become a new archetype, we have to first recognize what it is that we're doing. So if somebody's listening to the show today, how do they take that first step in recognizing what they're doing? It's, there's no dumb question. It's actually a very interesting question. Thank you for asking it, Amanda. Um, 
what I would say is it's, it's very important to be an observer. So what we can do, first of all, it's, it's about really being a bit intellectual and we're gonna be a little bit intellectual. It's important to look at our parents' relationships, how, how they were or how they are between each other and with, with us. It's also important. So, and it's important to actually really dissect things and put them, bring them down. This is how we, were, we would be able to actually really notice what are the patterns. And then we, after our parents, we go to our uh, relationships ourselves. So we, we study each relationship. How was the dynamic of each relationship? Who was more giving than the other? Who was more, um, was it more of an emotional? Did we have love at first sight? Was it love at first sight or did we build it through time? Did we have attachment issues? Was it more like, was I more jealous or was my partner more jealous? It's, it's really about putting things down on a paper from our parents and from our past relationships. And then definitely by doing that and observing, this is how we would actually be able to really know the pattern because there are patterns around there. Because while, while we tend to attract different, we think we attract different partners, what, what, we're, what we are doing is that the faces and bodies are changing, but <laughs> the, the archetype is still the same. <laughs> I would agree with that. So is it safe to say, uh, and I'm sure some people are different, but is it safe to say that many of our relationships mirror the relationship that our parents had? Yes and no, uh, depending on how. So at, at first, yes, unless we really don't resonate with our parents. So this is actually more of a, of a it depends answer. So if we actually model our parents uh, or, or caretakers really, really well, then yes. But sometimes what we tend to do, we actually tend to, to do the, the opposite. So if either we don't like our parents or if we don't really like the, the type of relationship they had, then we might model someone else. So it's really important to notice the model that we're, we're, we're doing that. And in the end, it's all a reflection of our relationships. So we can always notice that from the relationships we've been having. And I love the idea you mentioned earlier, writing it down so that you can see the patterns. I think that um, it kind of reminds me of the old saying, you can't see the forest for the trees. And so if you're in the thick of it, you may not even realize, you may realize that you're attracting the same partner, but you may not really have the awareness of what you're doing, how you're doing it and why you're doing it. So the idea of writing it down and, and really taking a step back kind of allows you to get a, a higher view, a higher awareness of, of what that picture looks like so that you can start changing that archetype. I think that um, that's a really great tip if you're you know, 40, 50 years old and you're looking for love and it, you're not getting the match that you want. I think that's a great starting point. It is, thank you. And I would add also one other thing that if, for example, someone is actually really stuck and they're really, really not able, even if they're writing everything down, it's very simple. They can just ask their friends. I mean, friends that have, that have been with them for a long time, they would know, like, oh, I've, you've been into this relationship. They would tell you, this is how you were acting. This is how we believe you were right or you were wrong. So friends can help a lot as well. Yeah, I would agree with that. So you know, you wrote this great book, you've done all this amazing research to really help people find relationships that last. What can we expect to walk away with after we read The Grey Dance? What you, what you could expect is actually a step-by-step -step guide that would take you from where you are to, whether you, to where you wanna be. So whether someone is single and they want to be in a passionate relationship, whether someone has been friend-zoned and they really want to be in a passionate relationship, whether it's with their friends, or someone else, and whether you have been in a relationship for a while or you have been divorced and you really want to recreate the sparks, then as, at the same time, the book will tell you how to go from a step-by-step -step guide from where you are to where you want to be, which is a passionate relationship. I love that. What do you think, in your opinion, you know, as I was uh, looking over the research and looking at the reviews of the book, you know, I, I think that we all come to whatever the subject matter is with our own perceptions. I'm sure there's people that are like, oh my God, yes, I need this book. And then there's other people that are probably thinking, oh, you know, I've read a hundred of these. I'm not sure if it's going to help. What do you think is the most undervalued info 
in this book that everyone should be paying attention to? I would say that in this book, what I tried to do was come from a, from a neutral place to really help both men and women. And it's important to know that in general, what tends to happen is that when, we, when it comes to relationships, we tend to have this me versus you rather than us relationship. So it's like more of two single people trying to build a relationship. With this book, what I'm trying to do is actually come from, from a place of we are a couple and we're working together. Whether you are single or not, it's not about being single or, or in a relationship. It's more about coming from a place of unconditional love, coming from a place of we are here to help each other out. So for example, in, in, in relationships or in couple, couples, instead of fighting like, give me that or what am I give, getting from you or I need this from you, it's more like, okay, let's pause, let's take a break, let's relax. How, this is the problem, how can we solve it together? Not how can we solve it against each other, but how can we solve it together? Because in the, in, in the first place, we actually got married or entered a relationship because we really like each other. So it's, it's really important to, and this is where the growth mindset actually comes in. It's not about um, fighting against each other. It's really about helping each other grow. And it's the same for people that have been friend-zoned, for example, instead of like um, the other party that friend-zoned them, instead of like uh, trying to, to distance or trying to um, fight against them or disappear, by, by helping each other, this is how things would grow. I think that's really great to approach a relationship with that mindset because it, that to me is what true companionship and true partnership is about and being open-minded because clearly who you are at 20 is not who you're going to be at 40. You've got more life experience. You've got more understanding, more awareness. So I think that if it can be an us uh, as opposed to a me or an I, I think that I think this is important to mention too, because I think that, you know, with humans living longer now, we're in relationships longer, right? So it's like the average marriage would typically be done by 40 because one of the partners would have died by now. And now we don't have that because of the healthcare system. So I think it's important and imperative to build relationships in this way where it is a true partnership because you're in this for the long haul. So you better like each other. And you better be open-minded and grow together so that you can make decisions together and really have a relationship that's respectful and that you honor and nurture as you both grow older, right? That's actually very beautifully said, Amanda. And it's very true. So it's like um, when we were back in actually the prehistorical age, it was mainly about the man being masculine and the woman being feminine, where it's actually really about uh, protection and, and nurturing and well, at a certain point, it still does, but things have evolved with time. And we used to live, as you said, very shortly. But as things evolved, we, um, our, our dynamic, the relationships dynamic have shifted. So, for example, once, um, once women started to work, now they're more independent. So they don't really need from the man her physical needs. What she, what she really is looking for is actually her, her emotional needs that are met. And this is another important topic that, that's currently in, in um, disrepair. In <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, because that, like lately, for example, um, men in general are uh, like, women expect her man to be like more emotionally present, while the man sometimes doesn't really know what being emotionally present is. It's not very much talked about. And um, they, it, there's actually this whole confusion about men still, I'm, I'm, again, I'm talking in generalities. Please don't take my, my, uh, the, the word as it is. It's, it's a generality, but it's more to paint a picture where like uh, women tend to want the, the man to take care of her emotional needs, while men still thinks, at least at a, at a subconscious level, that they want to take care of their partner at the physical need. And this is where the clash happens because both of them are not aware of that. Mm. Yeah, and I can see that I, because that's evolution, right? Exactly. We've got the hunter-gatherer going on. I mean, even though exactly. the, we're no longer the hunter-gatherers, but <laughs> we're essentially <laughs> operating from that same software 
and we're currently trying to override that software and it's been kind of a hot mess. <laughs> it's actually a beautiful mess because this is actually how we grow and learn from each other. And uh, as you were saying, like uh, since we have been able to, to live longer, things have shifted from, because if we divide them, for example, into three different stage, uh, stages, so the first stage, let's say in the prehistorical age, it was more about the physical chemistry was more dominant. Then, then intellectual chemistry became more dominant. Right now, for example, we're more shifting towards emotional chemistry. So there are different facets and different, different levels. Of course, it's not fixed, but in, in generality, this is how it, it grows. So the, the, the physical era or prehistorical age was more about procreating. It was just about survival of the fittest then as we move to the intellectual phase it was more like okay i actually want children from you so and i want a bit of uh, companionship and then when when it comes to emotional chemistry it's more about like um how do you say it we're we're in it for the long term so i don't, don't want someone to just to procreate with i want someone to actually be there for me because we really are going to build a long-term relationship and it's really going to it should be nice it should be interesting and it shouldn't get boring. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think it really does uh, matter if someone does have a growth mindset because it's going to challenge them. It, it is going to challenge that evolution and, and force them to look at things differently, approach them differently, and do things differently. And as long as they do have that growth mindset, they're going to be willing to do it and say yes to it as opposed to, oh, I'm a man, I don't do that. Or, oh, I'm a woman, I don't do that. That's very true. I think that's great. So I'm curious, you know, there are a lot of self-help books out there, especially in the love department. You know, we're talking about um, how we're really stepping into an emotional phase and there's nothing more emotional uh, or the yearning that a lot of people have to find love and to, to be, you know, loved. What makes the gray dance different? So from, from all the books that I've read and uh, the research that I did, there are three or four things that I've noticed that are different. So the first thing is that it's the only place where you can see eight relationship archetypes. I haven't seen it anywhere else. So this would help facilitate a lot on how to better understand ourselves, our, our potential partner or our partner. And this is like, it's, it's a really important point. The second point is that when I've seen step-by-step -step guides uh, in, in personal development, I haven't seen in relationships. So I really do take people on a step-by-step -step guide by the hand to, to really create a really passionate relationship. The third point is that when I've seen in general books that are either very much into psychology or psychologists that, that have written them, Others that have been more written by scientists or come from a more scientific aspect. What I try to do is blend both of them together, have, have a uh, psychological and scientific aspect. So you, you can see stories inside the book. You can also see, discover yourself through the archetypes, see the step-by-step -step guide. And at the same time, other than the psychological aspects, you can also see biology and chemistry. So for example, there's a whole chapter based just on hormones and how to create hormones, recreate hormones in order to really attract the right partner for you or in order to actually deepen the intimacy, deepen the love. So it's really a combination of everything. I think it's great. Uh, again, the book, uh, the name of the book is The Great Dance of Love, Step-by-Step -step Guide to Finding Love That Lasts. George, if people are interested in learning more about you or would like to get a copy of this book, how do they find you? Where do they go? I would actually send them to the following address, www.greatanswerflovebook.com. It's www.greatanswerflovebook.com, G-R-E-Y-D-A-N-C-E-O-F-L-O-V-E-B-O-O-K.com. By going on this link, you actually, uh, and by buying the book, you actually can receive eight bonuses from very influential people and colleagues of mine, which I'm very thankful for, such as Peggy McCall or Robert Clancy or Marcy Shimov. And they're really valuable bonuses that are for more than $700. So if, if someone is interested, it's a really good place to go at. 
And I would also like to add that for every book that is sold, there would be actually uh, $1 from the profits of the book would be donated to the Unstoppable Foundation uh, in order to help raise children around the world. Well, I'm thankful for you, George. I think that this is a great approach to romance and, and really helping uh, teach people how to maintain, well, first finding the spark, but then maintaining it in their current relationship. And, and you know, I think that um, this information is key because the divorce rate is through the roof. And so clearly people do not know what they're doing and they need people like you to tell them how to do it correctly. <laughs> so thank you for saying yes to this and coming on the show today. Thank you so much, Amanda. It was a pleasure being with you on, on the show. Wasn't that such a great show? I'm hoping that each and every one of you that listened to this today is walking away with some valuable information. And I'm going to sign off on something that uh, Professor Lynn talked about called the definition of love. And side note, if you are um, getting ahas from this information, um, this text from Professor please uh, consider sending me a red envelope. If you don't know what that is, you can go over to my YouTube channel and just look up the red envelope tradition because whenever we share spiritual wisdom, we're supposed to honor our ancestors so that we can carry that chi forward. So this is uh, the definition of love. HH Professor Lin Yun was once asked, what is the definition of love? Is there a connection between chi and love? Here's his response. In the heart of the Chinese character for love is the character for heart. Love means to use your heart. If you say that you love, but there is no heart, that means your statement is inauthentic and fake. If you take away the center character for love, the character becomes a character that means to receive. Receiving a gift, such as love, without heartfelt gratitude, your actions are not true. It is inauthentic, and it is simplified love with no heart. You must express your feelings with your heart and use your heart to receive the true expressions of love from another. If you adjust your chi well, your good chi will influence your heart. If your chi is good, love is created and love creates good chi. Fate can then be altered and improved by one's thoughts and good deeds. We can influence others with our good heart and changing our fate. Developing all of this is developing good chi and will help you achieve good chi. In this way, and only this way, love too is developed in an authentic way. That's actually um, a portion of the ebook that I included in the love course. Um, but I just think it's such a stellar way to look at the importance of love and heart and gratitude. And really what we talk about in this show today of, you know, just being authentic and looking at it as a journey, not a destination. Obviously, we need this because of the divorce rate, right? All right, everyone. I hope that you've enjoyed this show today. If you've got any tips on how I can monetize this, be sure to reach out. Let's chat at thegatescompany.com. If you'd like a floor plan reading, you can head on over to the website, gatesinteriordesign.com. We've actually um, cleaned it up quite a bit, simplified it, made it a lot more prettier, at least I think. Um, or if you want to learn more information about me, you can also head on over there, interiorvibes.com. All right, everyone, trust the vibe because the energy never lies.